Uniform Podcast. This is the Everything F1 Podcast, where we're talking all things Formula One. Stay tuned. And welcome to the Everything F1 podcast. We're calling this one Talking Points. And we have a special guest from the F1 journal, Glenn Carr, with us today. Also alongside me today, we've got Adam and Coops. And we're going to answer some of your questions and talk about any of the latest breaking news. Don't forget to follow us on all social medias. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube at JoinEF1. We've also got our website, www.everythingf1.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe and even leave us a review on your podcasting service to make sure more people can hear our dulcet tones. I'm going to cut over to our guest, Glenn Carr. Can you tell us a little bit about your page and what you're up to? Hi, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so I'm from F1 Journal. I started it a few years ago um, just because... Every weekend I find myself when I'm not working, sat in front of the TV watching Formula One. So uh, I thought I'd make use of my time and uh, try and put something else out there that people could enjoy mm -hmm. with me. Brilliant. Uh, and where can we find your page at the moment? So you can find me and find our page on uh, Facebook, uh, F1 Journal. You can find me on Twitter, uh, YouTube or my website, which is www.f1journal.co.uk, where we actually do a, a, a race weekly magazine, which we send out to, to people just to sort of build up to the race weekend. Let's not forget our own team. We've got Adam today. How's your week been, Adam? Yeah, fine. Um, been off work, so just uh, enjoying the peace and quiet. And how about you, Coops? Hey, no, I've been all right, working away. I've got a couple of days off. Uh, trying to get on top of some articles and just keeping in touch of what's going on in the world of Formula One. There's not been much going on. I think some stuff happened today, but other than that, there's not been much else going on, really. It has been very quiet in the F1 world at the moment. Um, almost too quiet. Hopefully there's going to be uh, a barrage of news over the coming week before uh, the next race. So let's uh, head into the talking points then. First of all, we want to honour a great racer called Jim Clark, who died at 32. Coops, you've written an article about Jim Clark. What can you tell us about him? Well, Jim Clark was 32 when he, when he died. And he died today in 1968 while racing a Formula 2, uh, in a Formula 2 race in the Hockenheim ring. Uh, mm -hmm. Control of his car, lap five of one of the heats and crashed into the trees. Uh, as you could probably gather, uh, safety wasn't at the forefront in 1968 for Formula One drivers or Grand Prix racers. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, he was a driver of a he was a very different breed of driver. Uh, he's the only driver in the he's the only driver ever to win the Formula One World Championship and the Indy 500 in the same year. Uh, wow. <clears throat> he, he was born in Fife, so he's a Scotsman. So that, that, that put a smile on my face when I was checking that all out. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he's just, uh, he was just something else. He's a two, he was a two-time world champion. Uh, 
Uh, I think it was 63 and 65 were his two championship years. Yeah. He missed out on one by a few laps when he got an oil leak in his car uh, mm. near the end of the race. He could have won it. Uh, he's he's got so many kind of records or excuse me, so many things that he's achieved in Formula One. Yeah, including I think he won seven races in a season in nine, in the first year that he won his championship in '65, which mm-hmm. was not matched until 1984 or '85 when Alan Prost done it, and then it wasn't actually surpassed until Ayrton Senna did it in 1988. So, I mean, he, he's the type of person that doesn't it doesn't only define a generation; he transcends it. Absolutely, he's, he's often cited as being the greatest of all time by a lot of, uh, of established and uh, the older generation of Formula One driver, Jackie Stewart being uh, probably his most ardent supporter um, in F1. What Do you know much about um, Jim Clark, Adam? Um, not really, but there's, you know, obviously before my time. Um, but I suppose he, he was in that generation where there were, it was very little safety and they were just going out there to go as fast as they could, mm-hmm. no matter what. And you sort of have to commend them for what they did. Um, you know, they didn't care. They just wanted to be the fastest, to win everything. Mm-hmm. And it's it's something that sort of we lose a bit in modern Formula One with that sort of sense of speed and a sense of danger. You know, as we saw last year with uh, Roman Grosjean, you know, F1 cars are as safe as they've ever been. Um, and I think... Um, Drivers back then, like Jim Clark, probably couldn't even imagine that they could have survived something like that mm. someday. No, exactly. Um, and but I wonder if if they had the same safety back then, you know, would we've still had those sorts of drivers, you know, for a lot longer, you know? Yeah, he he certainly had a lot more potential in him. Anyway, you know, dying at thirty two, he he could have gone on for you know what eight, ten. I mean, Fangio was. In his fifties, when he quits, uh, eventually. There, yeah. So he he could he could he could have lived on for a long time and drove in many championships. And as as people were saying, he was one of the greatest. I had a comment on one on your post earlier, actually, on uh, um, a comment on your article earlier from a fan that was obviously around during the time of Jim Clark. And I wanted to read it because it's quite quite a nice little touching tribute. Really, it's not long, um, but Answer Farrell has commented. Uh, it's because of Jim Clark that I fell in love with motorsport. You had to see him drive to understand how great he was. Rest in peace, Jimmy. You will live on in my memories for as long as I live. She said she was a very young uh, 11-year-old when she went to see him and she saw him race uh, in 1963 uh, in the Grand Prix at East London. Yes, that's right. Uh, he debuted in 1960. His first race was mid, it was mid-season, uh, the Dutch Grand Prix in 1960. He retired from that race and then he got his first points in the Spa Grand Prix the following round, mm. which he actually got fifth. And he actually is quoted as saying that he was bored. He was not bored, sorry. He was scared stiff because two two drivers had, had been killed during that weekend. Mm. He, he managed to finish fifth, but admitted that he was pretty scared during that race. Uh, so, I mean, the tragedy, although it's expected or was expected back in that time, it did still have an effect on them. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there, 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 were, there would have been, you know, friends and 
they would have had banter off the tr off the track. So to see anyone pass away from that kind of that in in that kind of close close knit community must have been hard. Uh, even though, as you say, they probably expected it a lot more um, back then. So yeah, rest in peace, Jim Clark. You were a, a fantastic uh, driver, uh, and as you say, as uh, Ansa said, you live on. You'll live on her memory, and I'm sure you'll live on in many others' memories too. You say in your book that curiosity pushed me on right from the start. Now, what exactly is it you feel you've got to prove? It's not what I feel I've got to prove at all. I, I don't think I, I don't really want to prove anything. I uh, I enjoy motor racing. Um, I started as an amateur. Uh, hobby, no, uh, with no idea or no intention of uh, becoming world champion, but uh, it was, I was curious to find out um, what it was like to drive a car fast, to drive on a certain circuit, to drive a certain type of car. Okay, so we're going to move to some questions from our fans. Um, first of all, we had a question from Denise Taylor, who is a, an F1 Journal fan. Um, she said, what do we think about the sprint races coming in this year? I'm quite looking forward to them, if I'm honest, is what she said. And we've had some news today about the sprint races. Uh, they're, they're, they're almost all but confirmed. Um, the agreement with the teams, uh, they're going to be getting a bit of money to help them out, help them, out, help them decide um, if they want to, to make them to bring them on board with wanting to do it as they were worried about obviously pushing the, the budgets and whatnot. So they're going to get $500,000 each for each team to accommodate the extra cost. Uh, and if they do damage their cars in those sprint races, they'll also be given an extra allowance to be repaired for the main race. Uh, so, so let's go on to um, Denise Taylor's question. Thank you very much for your question, Denise. Um, let's talk to you, Glenn. Um, what, what do you think about the uh, sprint races? Yeah, so it's a uh, yeah, great question from Denise. It's, I think, um, it all behind the controversy of what they tried to do a couple of years ago and it being quashed. I think it's a good thing for, for motorsport to try and shuffle things up a bit. Because essentially, if you've got people who can't necessarily get the fastest lap going mm -hmm. under qualifying, but their race pace is a lot quicker. Yeah. So you'll find that you'll have teams which are a little bit further back in the grid from qualifying actually towards the front, which could actually, you know, give you a bit more excitement. So, yeah, I think I think it will be a, a good thing to trial at the end of the day. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But they've got to try something, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if we carried on with the same format over and over again, I think you'd end up losing fans because it's just the same old. You're not You're not changing anything. You're just sticking with what it's not necessarily broken but it's not gathering more momentum yeah i can see what you're saying it'll, as you say it'll bring some of those mid mid-tier teams uh, to the front qualifying giving maybe the the top tier of red bull and mercedes to some some people to actually overtake uh, in the race and, and put some excitement you will probably still end up with a very similar result if i'm completely honest uh, in the main race because there will be those dominant cars but at least, hopefully, it will make it a bit more exciting um, with some action up the front. Um, and, and you never know, they might even defend well within the race uh, and keep the Mercs and the, the Red Bull team behind. Um, what, what are your thoughts on this, Coops? You, have you got a, an opinion on sprint races? Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? See, I'm more of a purist. So I'm probably, again, I'm looking at Glenn here, but he doesn't look anywhere near my age, so I'm guessing that I'm again the oldest. <laughs> Uh, 
being that I'm nearly 40 and I remember watching Ayrton Senna racing and things like that. So, you know, the whole point for me in Formula One is to watch the Grand Prix. You know, I've, I've, I follow British touring cars who have sprint races, they put ballast in. Maybe they don't do it as much now with the sprint races. They have three, three rounds per weekend, but they've got, you know, success ballast and, you know, the grid is sorted out in one of the races by picking a ball out of a bowl. You know, to me, sprint racing in Formula One, I'm, 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 st I'm stuck between whether it's a gimmick or whether they have to do something. The whole point of Formula, the, the whole thing about Formula One just now is I think the qualifying is pretty much fine. I like. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna touch on something that Glenn did say, and um, they did try something different with the, with the qualifying structure a few years back, and it just went completely. Well, that's because they got it wrong. Was that that whole? It's up. We'll, we'll, we'll say that this time. Oh, uh, <laughs> they've done the one lap qualifying. Which, if you were a Jensen Button fan, Tiller, you hated because he didn't do one like, one shootout qualifying. He couldn't never hook up his car to do it. Other drivers could. Then you had this stupid aggregate thing, which mixed up the grid. Because then I think you had Giancarlo Fisichella and Paul what one race for, and then they, they, it was that complicated. That even even after the race, the first round and the sat and the Friday, the Saturday. Teams still didn't know who was doing what and where was they <laughs> didn't know. And it lasted two races and you know, and then you had the times of them when I remember when I was younger, where it was just an hour and you had twelve laps. So no Yeah, and ev everyone would come out in the last the last three minutes and put in a quick lap because they wanted to save their tires. Come out for forty five minutes, eh? You were just listening to Murray Walker. Now no one can complain about listening to Murray Walker talk. <laughs> So they've introduced obviously the three the three stage qualifying. Well, we I think universally everyone agreed that it's actually a pretty fair way of getting cars on the track for the whole hour, um, and it kind of does kind of promote a bit of excitement for, from you know progressing through the stages. Um, so is there an argument to say if it ain't broke, don't fix it, Adam? Um, yeah, they've always tried different things um, with qualifying. I remember, um, I think with this new one, um, a couple of years ago, I can't remember exactly when, um, where we used to um, put the fuel levels in the car for qualifying and they qualify on a certain fuel level. But you wouldn't yes. find out what the fuel load was until the, the Saturday night. And then you knew, sort yeah. of, oh, he went really fast because he had no fuel, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I think it was feel heavier for the race, yeah. so he could last longer before he pits. Yeah, I remember. So it makes me think about that. And um, the current format, I think, really works really well. Um, mostly, I still don't agree with the the Q two tires into you know the race thing because I think, especially we saw last year, you know, there was teams that were getting through to the bottom of Q three, so you know, mm -hmm. eighth, ninth, tenth. And starting on the soft tires, then you had the ones in 11, 12, 13, starting on the mediums, and they go longer. So it's actually a benefit to not get into Q3 if you were yeah. sort of at the back end of it. Um, so, the, But again, it varies every race, so it probably is a good thing. Um, but what's your, what's your opinion on the sprint race uh, itself this year, the three that they're going to have? As Glenn said, I think it's worth a try. You know, you don't know if it's going to be good until you try it with you know cars that can't qualify as fast as they race like we saw in the first race there with uh, McLaren you know Landon Norris you know qualified seventh but
but you know, after a few laps, he was in fourth. Yeah. If you think, you know, if he qualifies on Friday in seventh and then finishes fourth in the sprint race, then he's, you know, he'll start fourth in the race. So that's a plus for him. You get other cars that might like Charles Leclerc, who's a great qualifier, mm-hmm. but falls back in the race. So he might qualify fourth on the Friday and then finish seventh on the Saturday. But he's driving a Ferrari for the last two years, Leclerc, so he's always going to go back the way. Like. <laughs> yeah, but this car looks decent. This, it might, but I'm might just be... saying how, how the, the sprint race might affect the qualifying. I don't think it'll be exactly the same as what we would have before. I think it will change it up slightly. But I think the, the ones at the front will always be at the front, and the ones at the back will always be at the back. So uh-huh. I think it's the midfield where it really have a difference. Okay, so let, let's have a quick vote then. I, I'm personally, I, I'm for sprint races, uh, like like both Adam and, and Glenn have said. Uh, I think uh, I think it's a good idea to try something new. Um, but then there's something at the back of my brain thinking, well, qualifying isn't the bit that I think they need to sort out completely. Um, so I'm kind of like 90% happy with the sprint race and about 10% thinking, well, there are changes that can be made elsewhere. So I'm kind of, I'll, I'll, I'll stick a vote on the sprint race. Uh, are you voting for the sprint race then, uh, Glenn? Um, for, yeah, definitely for a trial of it. Um, yeah, yeah. Definitely for a trial of it. Adam, are, are you for or against? Yeah, I think we need to try it and see. Um, I can't really tell at the minute. Okay, and Coops? I'm, I'm kind of undecided. Undecided, oh. but but probably leaning towards against. Yes, more because of my puristness, if that's even a word, but... It's not a word, but it's... Well, we can't word. call you pure. Oh, I'm definitely not pure. Jesus, I'm ginger. <laughs> pure white, maybe. Yeah, I, 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 Don't stand out in the in the sunshine too long. No, no, I get sun burning open the fridge. So, you know, <laughs> so, so Denise, Taylor, I, I hope we answered your question. Uh, I'm glad you, you're looking forward to them. Uh, and we're, we're kind of leaning towards looking forward to them too. Thank you very much for your question. Uh, another question from an F1 Journal fan, Corey Galvin. Who will be the next best driver when Lewis Hamilton retires? A passing of the torch kind of thing. Okay. As it's one of your fans, uh, Glenn, we'll start with you. Who, who do you think is going to be the next Lewis Hamilton, as it were? Um, so, yeah, again, thanks, thanks, Corey, for your question. Um, I think I'm a bit torn. Um, I would obviously... If things are still progressing the way they are um, and George Russell gets a seat at Mercedes, definitely he's got the torch. He's going to be the up-and-comer. Um, although I've always thought since Max first started, I thought he would have actually been world champion before he was 21. So I think <laughs> it would be a very, very close battle between them two. And I think that's what we'll see. Okay. Uh, is is there a bias, a British bias coming in for the uh, George Russell, or is there? A, is it a genuine? No, I, I do think he's the next best thing, you know, since sliced bread. If if I was talking um, as a fan, then I would probably say uh, maybe Max. Max, but okay. I would obviously want George um, because yeah. he's British, you know. Yeah, well, don't worry, I, I've. Pure. I, I've got a massive British bias, so I'm not digging anyone that has. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just playing devil's advocate. How about you, Adam? Who Who do you think is going to be the next big thing in F1? Well, 
obviously, as as Glenn said, you know, um, George is the obvious candidate at the moment. Um, but I think next couple of years, Yuki Tsunoda, I think, is yeah. going to be up there. I think it, since you know, I think it's the first driver since Max to really sort of come in straight away and shine. You know, there was no pressure for him, was there? So he, he kind of no. just drove his own race, and he looked really good. I looked like it, you know, he'd been there for a se- you know for a few seasons. It didn't look like his first F one race at all. No. So I think it's really impressive. I think it's uh, something to watch. Okay, uh, and is there any? of the slightly more established people that you would lean to? I know you're a big McLaren fan yourself. So Lando Norris, Danny Rick, or one of the old drivers for McLaren, or Carla Sainz, Charles Leclerc. Who, who do you think? Max Max Verstappen is an obvious one um, because he just has the hype at the moment. Um, but is there anyone else you think? It's, it all depends on the car. It depends if they get in the car at the right time. Like Lewis, you know, Lewis... There's his first year Mercedes, they were nowhere. No. You know, and he just everything came together in, in twenty fourteen and it just went off. If he had been in a different car, if he had stayed in McLaren, he wouldn't have won seven world championships. So oh, it all depends on who were if they fall in the right place at the right time. Okay, Coop, same question to you. Who's who's your next big thing? Oh, uh, it's Yuki Sonoda. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the guy, he's impressed the guy after that one race. That one race has done it. No, it's not that. I mean, I, I wrote, I wrote a wee thing about him in the the article I did for for Alpha Tauri, and I was reading up about him. I mean, the guy's only ever raced in two hundred races mm. ever in his career, uh, and then during the weekend for the race, they asked him where where are you aiming to to qualify, and he went P one. <laughs> I mean, the guy's just like, no, that's, and then, you know, he got points, and then he was like, oh, but you satisfied? No, 50%. So, you know, he's just, you know, he's so like, no, that's not good enough, and you go further, and he's got the talent to show that you can do it. Okay. That pass, was it, uh, who was it he passed? Was it, uh, was it a stroll that he passed? Yeah, he stroll, yeah. So far back, and he was just like, oh, that's where I'm going. And you're like, <laughs> oh, sir. Uh, you would never have thought it was his first race, his first weekend. He just got in the car. I still don't know how you can see over the top of it. <laughs> He's got a booster seat. I'm reliably yeah, informed. No, the, the, the aerodynamicist must love it because they hate the drivers because, you know, like George Russell tried to fit in the Mercedes last year. It was too, the car was too wee for him. Mm. Uh, but no, I think as a, as a complete raw talent, it has to be. Sonoda, but the thing about Formula One and the, the, the glory of Formula One is, you know, Formula One comes to a driver. Sebastian Vettel won four world championships because the regulations suited him. If he doesn't have a car that suits him, he can't drive it. He's not a Fernando Alonso who can just get put in a dog of a McLaren and put it sixth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same as, you know, Jensen Button winning his world championship. The regulations came to him and his driving style, and he was lucky enough to be in Braun at that particular time. And Solid pair of hands too, Jensen. Solid pair of hands. Oh, yeah, Mr. I, yeah, no bother. Uh, you know, I think that's the reason why Hamilton has been considered on a different level, because every iteration of Formula One that he's been in, 
he's been successful. And as Adam mentioned, the year with Mercedes, with the first year with Mercedes, but that was partly to do with the way it was funded. It was a bit of an embarrassment, and that's why they went, "Oh, we're going to do it properly this time." Mm-hmm. He still won a race for that dog of a Mercedes the first year he was in. So yeah. there's a lot of factors to it, but I think if as long as Sonoda doesn't do an Alonso and move to the wrong team at the wrong time, or the right team at the wrong time, as Alonso has done, mm-hmm. uh, then he could get himself. And again, I think the build-up to next season with these new regulations is going to be amazing because none of us are going to know where anybody's going to be. Yeah, it is, it is exciting. Anyone yeah. could be in the right car, uh, and that's... Yeah, Williams firing in the, the Q1 and you know, if they just get, if they just find the right thing, uh, or the right, you know, the jigsaw pieces just fall right for them. They, you know, we could see a team like we could see Haas. We could just, you know, it's not stupid to think that any of those guys could be up the top. We might even see McLaren do something. Let's hope so. I'm gonna say I'm gonna stick my neck out. Actually, the next big thing, I think, and Joe will hate me for this because she's a big Max fan. But I just think that Max has got too much hype and not enough consistency. He's a great racer. I believe that he can win a lot of races in a season and he can score lots of points. I just don't think he's consistent enough. Uh, when he's, he's always racing, like you said, for the, for the first spot. But he doesn't think hang on, do you know what? The championship is the championship. I'm going to play the long game and just get second or third and be consistent with the points. He's always going for the first spot, which is great to watch, but it's not great for his point score because he ends up... I, I, would, I would kind of disagree with that to a point because last year, the only time he really did that and fall back to the old crash stapping ways of before was, was it the Turkish Grand Prix where he was behind, was it Perez? I can't remember who was in front of him. They lost it when he spun. We, we all could see it coming. Mm. He was getting impatient, and you were like, and Sponge said it as well when we had the podcast after it. We said, we, we, you, you knew he was going to spin it. You knew he was going to lose out, and he did. And that was like, you could tell. But then look at the 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 Sakir Grand Prix where he got in, unfortunately crashed out. I mean, he was, three, he was three abreast. He would have, two or three years ago, he would have stuck his nose in. So you think he's learning? Be, you think he's learning then? Maybe he's still got caught out, but I don't think he's quite. I think the problem for Verstappen has been Red Bull. Red Bull haven't been haven't given him the consistency. You put him next to Hamilton, you're going to have four or five years of Hamilton versus Verstappen, similar to a Rosberg versus Hamilton for a number of years. It'll swing back and forth. Hamilton might win a couple. Verstappen could win a couple. Verstappen has the talent. He hasn't had the consistent machinery underneath him. Or the consistent call in my mind. But we'll uh, we'll leave it there. Anyway, I think... You um... the last word in there, Tiller, didn't you? you had to... <laughs> yeah, but you would... this is my part. I, I was responding and I was making my, my prediction of the future. I, my prediction, anyway, uh, is Lando Norris. No. I still don't think he's got there's something that's just not quite there to get him there. He might get it, but I just think he's not quite in that conversation. He's still very young. I mean, you're putting George Russell there, who, let's face it, has been in the worst car most years. Apart from this car, it's the second from the worst car this year. And, yeah, he's performed okay in it, you know, as well as could be expected. 
but he had one go in the Mercedes car, which is the best car, and he did well. So, but every a lot of people have said that they would do well in the Mercedes car. Um, you know, if if they if push come to shove, that's why I think I honestly think Lando Norris with the right uh, McLaren behind him, um, he's got such a close kind of tight knit community within the team. They they absolutely love him, so they're gonna they're gonna provide him with the best machinery and the, the you know I just think I don't know. I think he's going to be before George Russell. I, I I put him as a championship winner before George Russell, uh, and that's my that's my prediction. Although it's a, it has a high Brit bias, um, I do. I, that's my prediction anyway, and a McLaren bias as well. I think we can all agree though. Over the next five ten years, if you look at drivers alone, Formula One's pretty all right. Yeah, Leclerc, Norris, Ricardo, uh, Russell. Uh, Sonoda, uh, I think about what four drivers you can kind of dismiss: Mazepin, Latifi, uh, Raikkonen when he retires in twenty seventy nine when he's eighty two. <laughs> uh, uh, my math is wrong there, by the way. I just made it. <laughs> Way uh, off. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's. I mean, there's two thirds of the grid that we can all look at and wouldn't be particularly surprised if they actually get a championship. I agree. And I think if if the regulations work well next year, I mean, the drivers all nurture their talent the way that we think they've got. I don't see a a, a Hamilton situation with a seven in a trot. You might get Verstappen gets a couple, and you might get a Ricardo luck into one. Then you'll get a Leclerc might get one, and then a couple more. I think it's going to be. I think you're going to see a couple, a, a lot of different champions over the next ten years. Let's hope so. That that's what we we will want. You know, we want someone different on the top step. As much as I, I'm a Hamilton fan. Uh, you know, I I want to see other people win too. Um, I don't know. Adam's not a Hamilton fan, so he's giving me <laughs> a thumbs down uh, at this moment. So I hope hopefully we've answered your question, Corey. Um, who will be the next best driver when Lewis Hamilton retires? Well. It could be one of many, uh, and that's something that we can all look forward to. So thank you very much for your question. Um, we'll go to Stuart McDonald's question now, also an, F, uh, an F1 Journal fan. Um, this might be quite a quick one, actually. When Racing Point clearly broke the rules last year, why were they still allowed to use those illegal parts till the end of the season? Now, I'm going to go to Coops for this one, but uh, thanks very much for your question, Stuart. I'm sure Glenn will be uh, happy, to, happy that you've contributed to the podcast. Um, so, Coops, the short answer? Yeah. How much time do we have? <laughs> just, a, just a short answer, please. <laughs> right. Basically, for anyone who didn't know, Racing Point got themselves into trouble because they had the pink Mercedes. Last, the start of last year, they came out with a new car, which was the almost the spitting image of the Mercedes of the previous year, yeah. which is allowed. At the time, is allowed. They've changed the regulations now to not allow it. They're not allowed 3D cameras and such like. However, there was a protest over the brake ducts. So they were found guilty of using the rear brake ducts, which at the in, yep, ducts, <laughs> which were it, which became a listed part of this in January 2019. So basically what that means is if a, if a part is listed, the team has to construct it. They have to make it to make sure they're still a constructor. Before that, they weren't. Uh, Racing Point and Mercedes have a very close technical relationship. The reason why they were allowed to continue to race them was that there was some ambiguity over 
the way that the regulations were written. Now that must come as a shock to anyone who formula, uh, follows <laughs> rules that are ambiguity, have any ambiguity in them. Normally they're very much clear in black and white. But, uh, black limits, not. Yep. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's another topic later. <laughs> that's another topic and it's not actually a difficult one. But anyway, so there was some ambiguity over that. They didn't breach the technical regulations, which would have caused them to have to not run them because the actual brake duct wasn't an illegal part. Mm -hmm. What they designed, it was the sporting regulations because they used a part that was fundamentally designed by Mercedes and they then put it on the car when it was when they should have designed it themselves. But so wasn't, that is wasn't the argument from Snafnir, however you say his last name, um, that how could we unlearn what we knew? We, when we, if, if we were to be given the opportunity to have to redesign a brake duct, we would probably design it the same because we have that memory of it. You can't unlearn how you created something as well. But I think that was, that was part of the judgment from the stewards as well was that the unlearning, but the issue was that the front brake ducts were part of the DNA of the car from the RB or the RP, sorry, the RP19. So the front brake ducts came in around about like before 2019. Yeah. Uh, when they decided to move to a more Mercedes-style car, they then pulled these drawings, which they had the CAD drawings, which is the kind of technical drawings that they used to make these parts. They had them already from Mercedes, but hadn't used them. But then they decided to use them after 2019, and at that point they were listed and they shouldn't have used them. So that's the regulation that they breached. It's yeah. not about. So for the, basically to answer the question. They didn't breach the technical regulations. If they did, if the part was an illegal part, as in designed illegally and out with the, the technical remit, then they would have been told you can't run it, you have to design your own. They didn't do that because the brake duct is not an illegal part. They just copied something else, which is against the sporting regulations and the punishment in the sporting regulations doesn't allow for disqualifications. So that's why it was done. And the reason why they were only given reprimands for the time they used it uh, and only were given what they were given was because of the ambiguity around how the regulation was written when it was changed to a listed part. So that's the reason. Brilliant. Okay, anything to add to that, chaps? Uh, Glenn? Yeah, so, I mean, just... I mean, it is like that I took a bit of tracing paper, placed it over the CAD drawings and, and just had their way with it. Um, there was obviously a lot of parts on the front wing which were spitting image. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, obviously they, they say they get it from pictures. All teams are going to be looking at that sort of stuff. Um, and again, I think on the, the reprimand basis, um, they couldn't stop them doing it over and over again for the, rest of the, for the rest of the season because to find another part and replace it on a car which has been tested and um, put through its paces up until that point is just it, it wouldn't be time efficient to do so mm. so hence why they would have just been given the reprimands to to carry on with that year with that part yeah and i suppose they just felt the, the fine was was adequate kind of punishment really so uh, yeah yeah absolutely so thank you very much uh, Stuart mcdonald hopefully we've uh, answered your question uh, there okay adam actually you had a question that you wanted us to discuss um, on the podcast today. Do you want to uh, ask that question now, live, as we as we sit here? Yeah, it was basically, with, you know, with the drivers at the moment, you know, we've got um, Reikkonen, who's still there at, what, 40? Is he 40 now? Um, 
You've got Alonso coming back. You've got Seb taking the seat. It's basically about, you know, are drivers staying too long and are they taking up seats of younger drivers coming through? Is it stopping that flow of drivers from the lower formulas? Glenn? Um, yeah, I think it is, essentially. Um, obviously, teams are wanting these drivers to be in the car, giving them as much of their knowledge as that they, that, that they possibly can. Um, but ultimately, if you've got a young set of uh, fresh boots sitting in the car and absolutely pushing that car to its limits, you're going to get all the data that you need anyway. Whereas someone like Kimi Raikkonen, great driver, has been for a long, long time. But ultimately, even says he just does it because he, he loves doing it. He just doesn't, he's not, he's not there to win. He's just, he's there to, to just race and not, not put it on the front row, you know? Mm. Yeah, I also want to play devil's advocate here. These big names do bring in the crowds and the sponsors. Uh, you know, F1 probably want all these champions on the grid because it's big box box office figures. It's big big box office titles and headlines for fans to come and see. You know, I want to go and see Alonso. You know, the two time world champion. It's going to be we're going to be racing against a four time world champion, a seven time world champion, and also. You've got Kimi Raikkonen, who's a one-time champion as well. You've got, you know, five champions on the grid. That's amazing. It sounds great. Um, how about you, Coops? I don't necessarily agree, mainly because the, the, the older people that are there, are, are other than Kimi Raikkonen, as Glenn has touched on, it's his hobby, and who's going to tell Kimi Raikkonen not to race anymore? <laughs> I'm <laughs> uh, Other than maybe Kimi Raikkonen, you know, everybody else there serves a purpose. I mean, the, the I think the third oldest Grand Prix driver now is Hamilton at 35. Yeah. Now, I mean, there's question marks about whether he really wants to continue on after this year. And I mean, that's another discussion with the one-year contract extension and stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, I mean, what, is, what else has he got to prove, to be honest? Mm -hmm. But, you know... If they're there and they're able to race, why not? It shouldn't be a factor. And it shouldn't, and it, you know, we had this discussion about when Max Verstappen came in at 17 and the FIA, you know, bleeped themselves and thought, oh no, well, he's too young. And then changed the super license points and, you know, the system and all that. And, yeah. you know, they're getting a lot younger. But conversely, if they're getting a bit older, I mean, what is old in Formula One terms? Well, as you say, historically, you had, what, 50-year-old drivers, didn't you? Um, yeah. I don't know that they might be able to get, carry on for that long uh, and be competitive these days uh, with the way how the technology old, how is. Old is Max how old is Max Verstappen? 24, something like that? And he's, 23, what, got he's got hundreds of races behind him already. You know, is that too, was that too young? I mean, some of his races when he was young, you could have argued was a bit young mm. for him. I mean, it's an exception. I mean, you're not going to get many Max Verstappen-style youngsters coming in. That's once every few years. But on the other, other side of it, I mean, the stats don't look favourably to older drivers. I think there's only been one Formula One driver who's won a race in God knows how many years over the age of 40, and that was Mansell, and he's won one race. And that was all around the discussions around when Alonso was signed up and he was coming back. So, you know, 
it doesn't bode well as you get older and you do lose that wee bit of speed and your reaction time does come down a bit. But uh, I think as the future, with all these youngsters coming in and the talent being so good, I think teams will be less inclined to keep older drivers because of the youngsters. I think the youngsters will start proving it. Yeah. I mean, Callum Eilat, we've got Kevin Schwartzman, we've got Lungard, uh, Wang Hujo. There's half the grid in Formula 2 already that could probably... Step up, yeah. So teams will look at that. You know, if Daniel Ricciardo spends three years at McLaren and doesn't do what he's, we all hope him to do, they'll kick him out. Mm. There's too many out there. There's too many other options now. How about you, Adam? You obviously posed the question, so you, you must have an opinion on it. Yeah, well, there's two sides to the coin because you've got, you know, these older drivers, you know, being brought in in place of maybe current drivers or younger drivers. Then you've got younger drivers coming in, replacing current drivers, but probably not as good. You look at, you know, um, Schumacher and Mazepin coming in to replace Grosjean and um, Kevin Magnussen. Yeah. And you think, you know, is it really an improvement? You know, would it be any worse off if they kept, you know, Kevin and Roman? So there are exceptions to the rules or, or exceptions to it, but I think there needs to be a balance. You know, look at Seb. You know, is Seb going to be any better than Perez was? Mm. Uh, but is he there just to say, oh, look, we've got a four-time world champion in our car? I think he is. Is I it all about is. marketing rather yep. than the actual speed of the driver? I think, uh, yeah, in that instance, I absolutely think uh, Lawrence Stroll is is doing it for his advertising campaign to uh, sell more cars. That's that's my that's my opinion on that. Um, and I'd say it'd be the same for Alonso. You know, you've got Renault come, you know, bring Alonso back. Is that so they can go, oh, look, we're bringing back Alonso, you know, two-time world champion. He's going to bring us back to the front. Rather than, you know, bringing in Callum yeah. or somebody and saying, oh, we're bringing up this driver. Who you know done really well in GP two? Yeah, that's it. You know, it, it's something for them to shout about. Is bringing Alonso back, and it puts them in the headlines of the papers. Glenn, did you say? say did you have a, anything else to add to that? Sorry. Yeah, sorry. It was. Um, yeah, it, uh, it, honestly, I, I think it's an absolute shame that um, Ilot didn't make it into to Formula One this year. Obviously, he's a reserve driver now mm-hmm. um, and a test driver for for Ferrari, but. Um, he's not racing in Formula 2 and I think it's an absolute shame um, but and, and just to touch on what you were saying earlier James that um, these these older drivers yes they're world champions they are going to bring big money back in well not back into the sport they're going to add they're going to bring the money to the team but ultimately this is a money business this is where people want to spend their cash to put their name on that car mm-hmm. doesn't matter obviously it matters who's in the car because there are going to be some controversies behind some of some drivers that come through, but yeah. ultimately they will find a way to put that money on that grid. Absolutely, I agree. Does that answer your question, Adam? Are you, are you happy with the responses? Yeah, I think it, like what I said, it, it needs to be a balance, and I think we'll see that going forward. Um, of sort of having that experience, and then also having the youth as well. I think it'll serve us for the next ten years. Good. Okay, we had a just a. It was quite a quick comment <laughs> from one of our fans, uh, Yoshio B. Kamasila. Uh, I hope I've said pronounced that correctly. I do apologise if I didn't. Uh, I probably didn't, and I do apologise for that. Uh, and 
Every, everything F1 fan, um, just literally put, what about track limits? So let's mm. discuss what about track limits. Uh, we had a, we did have a quite a decent conversation uh, about track limits uh, in the last podcast, obviously because it was fresh from the Bahrain Grand Prix, uh, where Max Verstappen had to give his position back after overtaking Lewis Hamilton um, completely off the track, or, or did he? Um, so what are your what's your because you're new, uh, Glenn, to the to the podcast? We'll go straight to you because obviously we haven't heard your opinion yet. But track limits. Have you got an opinion on it? You must have an opinion on it because everyone has. Yeah, play. absolutely. Um, it's there's no grey areas. Track limit is track limit. That's it. If there was a if there was a wall there, like in Monaco yeah. or Azerbaijan, somewhere like that, drivers are not going to be pushing the boundaries. It, they're pushing the boundaries because there's a grey area. It's open to interpretation. This is the FIA. It should not be open to how you think that the, the ruling should be, or, oh, no, it didn't quite say that. It's, it's, it is what it is. Stick to the limits, because, um, I mean, if you look at Hamilton, yeah, he, he got a, a lasting advantage, and that's what it's all about. Mm. Um, if, if, for argument's sake, he, he crossed that line 25 times, and it was... I think they were saying um, an advantage of about 0.2 of a second, something like that. It added up to five seconds, five seconds an advantage. Over the 29 laps, yeah. I mean, why bother taking a corner? Why not just go straight over in a runoff area or something like that? So I think, and, and you look at how close Max was at the end. If there was another lap, then would he have got the position anyway? You know, but... Um, no, track limits are track limits. That's what they should be. Shouldn't be open to interpretation. Absolutely. I, I, can, I think that's what we kind of said last week on, uh, on last week's podcast. Um, the, the problem is the FIA, isn't there? You, you know, it, it's not because it, because it, when when the when the drivers and the teams are told this is the track limit, don't don't do it. They obey the rules. Um, it's mm. the fact that they change the rule from on Friday. Uh, and then give you a new rule on on Saturday, and, and then make an amendment for the the Sunday race. There's so much, like you say, ambiguity. Um, mm. So many questions left open. Um, that there was there was uh, I can't remember. I think it was Will Buxton that said it as well. At the same time, coincidentally, there was another racing series. I can't remember off the top of my head who it was now. That they've just started putting sensors on the track or that's what they're going to be doing mm. to make sure that drivers obey the the track the track limits and it's not if you get all four wheels off if you get a portion of your wheel off that's it that's a deletion of your time or whatever it is and it was it was quite strict and uh, it's like vr technology in football i don't know a lot about technology or vr whatever they call it but it's it's the same it's the same sort of stuff. Yeah, if they can if they can test if they can detect a cricket ball uh, whistling past a, a stump and cl making a click on on a bat uh, when the, when playing such a minute kind of tolerances, surely they can detect a four wheel car. Yeah. You know, the, the middle of the four wheel car going over a, a line at the side of the track uh, in Formula yeah. One and say that was over the line. Take take that time away from you. It's it baffles us all how we can be having such deep kind of conversations about this. Adam, you're, you're nodding your head. 
Yeah, well, I mentioned it in last week's podcast about the technology, and I thought, you know, surely it's not impossible to, you know, have a sensor that can detect when a car is, you know, inches, even centimeters away from, you know, the edge of the track. There must be a way to do it. Um, but as uh, Glenn mentioned, um, with Hamlin going off, the only reason they told them to stop it was because Red Bull asked the FAA, oh, here, you know, Hamlin's doing this. Can we do this as well? And they go, oh, no, well, we can't have two people doing it. So they told <laughs> Hamlin to stop it. Yeah. And then, and then yeah, but I agree with Max, uh, Max getting um, penalised or getting told to um, give place back because there was precedent for it, you know, in previous races, you know, when, try, when you pass somebody off track, you have to give the place back. But I think he just, he got a bit of a uh, bull in the china shop and just sort of tried to get it back straight away. Yeah. Or I think he should have been a bit more patient and uh, give it a couple of corners. Yeah. Just on that though, um, there was um, an article that came out um, that was saying he was struggling with the diff on the car even from the formation lap. So um, was that a reason that he ran out so wide? Because the diff wasn't working the way it should be. He even he adjusted the um, uh, the setting on the steering wheel and um, it still didn't have any impact as to the way it was working. So I'd imagine that that had some actual um, impact on why he ran so wide on that corner. Absolutely, yeah. Anything else to add, Coops? Yes, well, I mean, the only thing really to say about track limits was, uh, was is that it's probably the easiest rule to follow. There's the white lines on the sides of the track that are next to the bit that isn't grey. If you fall, if you go off that, you're not on the track and get penalised. It doesn't help that the, the new types of tracks that are, you know, designed these days have all this fabulous runoff. Or in Paul Ricard's, you know, case, multicoloured highlighters around the edges. But you know, it's not hard if you if two if all four wheels go off the white line, which what ha- is what happened to Verstappen in Texas a few years back. All four wheels went off the line. He lost the podium place. Why Michael Massey decided to say, right, we're not going to place that corner. And then 17, over the course of two practice sessions, 17 laps got discarded because of track limits. To then say, oh, they are policing it, to not police it. To then refer to the sporting regulations about lasting advantage. Why is it so grey? It's an easy thing. Yeah, and and, and as mentioned, they, they do actually follow the rules when they're told this is the rule. Um, so why can't they just set the rule and say... Done. Okay. That, is, that is the rule for the weekend. These are the best 20 form, the best race drivers in the world. The best 20 race drivers in the world. If you tell them you can't go over this bit, they will adjust to fix it. They might do a wee whoopsie in, form, in, in, in free practice. They might, you know, get it slightly wrong because they're on the edge, on the limit. And that's what happens when you're on the limit. But they ain't going to panic and then be like, you know, Sebastian Vettel when he tried to drive a Ferrari and forget how to drive, you know. <laughs> They were just, you know, it's, it's it's stupid. It was a great race. And as I said at the last podcast, we should not have been talking about this. No. 
You'd have been We're talk- still talking about it. You'd yeah. Have <laughs> You'd have been talking about the fact it was less than a second between the two of them, how we were all jumping when I saw Max Verstappen pass Hamilton. And as you all know, I'm not a fan of a driver. I just like the racing mm. because I'm a Pablo Montoya fan and he's not there anymore. So um, <laughs> I was excited when I saw him pass. Oh, he's done it. And then I thought, oh, I was off the track. I just had to give it back. And, and to kind of close up on it, he shouldn't have gave it back straight away. He should have waited till the long straight, passed it, and then got DRS and passed it straight again because everybody else would have done that. Absolutely. So there you go. That was our conversation on track limits. Yoshio, thank you very much for the question. Um, we hope you enjoyed what we said. Now, Glenn, you also had a question yourself that you wanted to pose within the podcast. Do you want to ask it ha- Ask it here now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's something I've not really thought about until recent term. Um, we've now just had, or it, what seems like it's going to be another takeover from um, Dimitri Mazepin. Um, so this looks like he will end up owning the hash team uh, within a yeah. short period of time. Um, if he isn't already a majority shareholder in the company. Um, you've got Lawrence Stroll on the grid as well. Uh, I mean, my thoughts are, is this good for Formula One? What are they there for? Are they there to achieve just a drive for their son? Is it the passion for the sport? Or once their sons are, are no longer with the team, if they are lucky to go to another team for um, a, a, a better seat if they were at the time. Um, where does that leave the two fathers if they now own the team? Do they do they have the love for the sport to to carry on or will we see them drop off? Okay, yeah, well, I mean, pay drivers have been a thing for, you know, in F1 for a, a very long time. It's part of the DNA of the sport. You know, there have been some brilliant pay drivers uh, and there have been, you know, some not so brilliant pay drivers. Um, it, it, it is part and parcel the teams need the money um and they generally do okay at the very minimum um what, what's your opinion on them coops well as you say pay drivers have always been around you know you had your petrol denizies of the world and we said about him the better uh you know they were if they had sponsorship that come in it does work i mean sergio perez is a pay driver yeah basically I mean, he's always going to have a seat in Formula One with the amount of millions he brings in. It's not. It's more about the team owners. Yeah, sorry, I was just going to touch on that. Uh, going to the team owner, I mean, I don't think we've ever had a situation with a couple of billionaires deciding they're going to fight and see who's got the biggest wallet in the world. <laughs> I think I think there's two very different ends of the spectrum. Yes, both of them have got a lot of money. I think the last I checked, Lawrence Stroll is valued around $3.6 billion. And a lot of money. family is about one point something. So, it's, well, I mean, I can't, I can't compute what that is in terms of money. <laughs> uh, but I think for, for, the Lawrence, for, for Lawrence Stroll, he's slightly different because he's self-made. He's done this himself. He, he came in... He's bought over Aston Martin. He saved them. He, he saw an opportunity, yes, to buy a team. Yes, his son's in the team. Would he have bought into Formula 1 without his son having a, uh, an interest in it? Maybe not. Mm. But he seems to be doing the right thing in terms of he's building up a, long, a medium to long-term thing. He's got strategies. He's bringing a lot of 
business. The Mazepins, now, and another added layer to this, the Mazepins tried to buy Racing Point. They mm. put a bid forward and they were knocked back by the administrator and it was given to Lawrence Stroll. And he was that butthurt about it, he was going to take them to court and say that they had a better thing. So is this a, an opportunity to go against them? Which could be nice and spicy for us watching. <laughs> and I think as Glenn's kind of touching on it as well, what happens in five years' time when they're getting bored? Yeah. And one of them goes. But then this is part and parcel of Formula One as well. Yeah, rotation of teams, team names, new new ones coming in, old ones coming in. I think as well, the problem we've got is Lance Stroll is a decent mid-card driver. He's never going to win a World Championship. I don't think he's ever going to be in a position to win one. He's going to come up and do what he did at Porto. Was it Portimao, uh, where he, you know, he fired it on on uh, or Turkey? I can't remember which one of the two it was, but Turkey put it on the uh, pole position. He got on pole position. He was leading the race. It wasn't. He didn't do anything wrong in that race. He just kind of no. The tied. team the team pitted him, and he, when they shouldn't have, and that's why he lost it. He kind of lost it. So, I mean, he, he's he's one of those drivers that could pick up a decent result. You know. He's already beat Hulkenberg, you know, so he had a podium uh, and everybody raves about Hulkenberg. So, but yeah, and Mazepin's different. That other Mazepin, as much as he's already the the not very nice pair, nobody likes him. And he doesn't at the moment seem to have much in the way of talent to deserve to be there, other than the fact that his dad has walked into Haas and went, oh, you're red, white, and blue. We want red, white, and blue, and here's some money. Yeah. And Gene looks like in the last couple of years, he's not been that interested because Gene Haas has been used to winning IndyCar and whatever he does over in America. We, I think he's in NASCAR as well, and I definitely know he's been in IndyCar. He's been at the front. Mm. Not used to being at the back. So what, what you're saying, I'm going to paraphrase it, what you're saying is it depends on the billionaire. Um, who comes in basically if, if, it, if it's a billionaire that just has designs on getting their son uh, an F1 seat not, 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 really, not really interested in, in the sport as a general rule apart from that um, compared to if the billionaire is actually quite a shrewd businessman and, and it's a good opportunity for him to make even more billions um, for his portfolio basically yes I mean, lot, I mean I've, 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 I've all seen the first couple of episodes of Drive to Survive, that Lawrence Stroll is a very intimidating, scary man. <laughs> <laughs> You've got me till half twelve. Now give me the news. You're like, oh, okay. you know, <laughs> he is coming in. You know, he owns half the world. You know, you can buy, you can buy the bit of ground you're standing on right now if he doesn't like you. So, you know, and he's got there on his own. He's he's done the, the smart thing. He knows what he's doing. The Mazepins, I don't know much about. And anybody who comes with billions of pounds and comes from Russia, you know, your eyebrows raised above your head at that point and think, yeah, okay. Uh, but I, I mean, if you've got a couple, that's not a big deal. But I think there'll be a tipping point. You know, I think Glenn kind of hinting that. I mean, if another three or four of these random billionaires turn up and half the grid is owned by these billionaires and it's just Formula One is just a plaything for billionaires until they get bored. That's yeah. a what. That's a big issue. Adam, have you got an opinion on this? Yeah, sort of what the guy, the other two guys said. Um, I think it's the way the sport is going at the minute. 
look at Williams. Williams might have been gone if Darlington Capital hadn't bought into the team. Even before that, if um, the Tiffy's dad hadn't put money into Williams to keep them going. Yeah. Or, um, but as well, you know, talking about Haas, Haas was never a good team to start with. I mean, they came in, they never had the right ingredients. You know, they, they bought their car from um, another company. You know, they got their engine from Ferrari. You know, they never did a lot themselves. So they never knew how to develop it themselves. Yeah. They were always buying in the development. Whereas, you know, Force India, when it started, they were a great team. They were a strong team. They could work under, you know, a small budget. They were getting podiums well before Lawrence Stoll probably even looked at them. Mm-hmm. So he bought into a team that was already strong and, you know, putting more money into that is only going to make it stronger. Better. Yeah. Cause you can, you can do like Mercedes, you can buy the best people you can pay over the odds. Cause you know, the, the, a lot of this, the top guys aren't under the budget cap now. So you can go out and spend your money on the top engineers, you know, top technical directors and bring them in. So it's wherever they get their money back. You know, look, look at Gene Haas. He hasn't, obviously. And that's right. why he's trying to find a way out of it now. Williams, hopefully, if they put in the, the money to develop the team and bring them back up into the midfield, they might stick around. You know, if there's language at the end, at the back of the grid, they're not going to stick around. But back to the billionaires uh, that, uh, that own the team. So M- 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 Mazepin's dad. Um, do you think it's a, yeah? Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. It's I think it's a good thing for the sport as it keeps teams in the sport. Afloat, yeah, yeah, it keeps. You know, we don't want to lose teams. Game. We want to go back to the the years before where you were losing teams every year. Yeah, keeps people in Whether jobs. It, yeah, it keeps people in jobs, but whether Mazepin is the right person, who knows? We'll have to see. The biggest thing is, is, is Adam touched on, I mean, if you buy Haas, what are you buying? You're yeah. buying the entry and you're buying staff. I mean, you're, you're not even buying a team principal that even now, I mean, yes, he's great as a... An entertainment of, value. Like, entertainment sense. But this is the guy who's stuck with Magnussen and Grosjean for about three years longer than he should have. Yeah. Uh, other than the fact of telling Magnuson off because he broke his office door during Drive to Survive. <laughs> you know, I mean, these guys, you know, as, as Adam says, like I think it's Delara that make the chassis. So the lead time if a chassis is not right for Haas, they, they can't just go into their factory and go, right, that's not right, we need to fix it. They need to call up Delara. Delara, they need to make it. They need to work out, well, what have Delara done? They, they came in, the, the idea was good. That's why they look so good when they first started because they didn't have to design half the car. And then as the years go on, less and less things they can buy in and they have to design more. Which, you know, they're not got their own car. They're not developing their own car. They're not developing it this year anyway for monetary reasons, which is always, which is a worry. Um, But then that could be because they're already selling the car. Why would Gene Haas develop a car when when he's planning and selling it anyway? You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. So... So well, that's what I think. Uh, just one last thing. That's what I think. Williams has the potential. You know, they have the Mercedes engine. They have the Mercedes gearbox. They have their own facilities. They can do everything themselves. So I think it's like any other big team. It's about getting the right people in the right positions. Like McLaren has done. You know, McLaren 
you know, Williams can do what McLaren have done the last couple of years and slowly move their sell- themselves up the grid. Yeah. The right improvements. I would kind of say, Adam, that Williams are doing what McLaren did. You know, McLaren got rid of the Bullier, they got rid of the, the Honda engine, they brought in uh, Renault, they've then decided, they brought in Snydell, they brought in uh, Zach Brown. They've done everything right and they've done it not in a we want success now. They've said, right, over the next couple of years, I mean, Williams have brought in Josh Capito, they've brought in another guy from Volkswagen. Uh, you know, they're planning for the future and you've used investment. My biggest worry for the Mazepin buying Haas is, you know, if he buys it just because he wants to buy it as a screw you to the strolls because they, he got pipped to the post before without really doing his due diligence and realising what he's actually buying and what he actually then has to do to turn that into a legitimate team. Because you've got to strip that back and start again. Mm. You've got to sign new deals. Does that mean he's going to go to Renault and buy the engine from there? Does that mean he needs to then get a chassis department up and running? That's a lot of money. And a lot of time you need to do that. Does he have the patience to do it? Is it a plaything for him more than Lawrence Stroll? Is Lawrence, I think Lawrence Stroll sees Formula One as a business opportunity and a chance to bring money in. Yeah. And he's, that's why he's tied it to Aston Martin, whereas I don't see that from the Mazepin side. Maybe that's more my ignorance because I don't know the guy and I don't know his history. I don't know much about him. Uh, so there's, right. there is a bit of a worry there that, that could, the Haas team could fall away or do a Spiker Midland thing and change owners several, like, several times before they settle themselves down. Well, yeah, I, I obviously want to make sure we answer this question uh, quite thoroughly because um, it's obviously it is it's an important question. Uh, I, my my theory is is they are technically just pay drivers. It's just obviously the the payment is much larger than the standard kind of pay driver. Um, so I think it's it's part of the dna of the sport i think it, it, i think it, it's good for you know staff um having jobs it's good for people if especially if there's no other people no other company willing to take over that teams um where you've got to kind of judge the the motivation for the billionaire that's doing it um like coops has mentioned and like adam's uh, kind of touched on as well um but you obviously got opinion on it as well glenn you you asked the question what, what's your thoughts um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of split in two. It's, like you say, I don't want to see people lose jobs. Don't want to see teams drop out now. But we also don't want to see it go to the wrong person. I'm not saying one of them's which. Yeah. Um, but you'd hope that there's longer intentions there. Um, I mean, if you look at it from, even from their, their sons, their drivers' perspectives, um, that's then a family business. If that seat's not working for them, mm-hmm. that's a hard step to pull away from. And then that's going to be earth shattering for the dad who's pumped in so much money, uh-huh. whether it's to get them the seat or not. And then do they, oh, okay, well, he doesn't want to drive here. Do we just sell up and move on sort of thing? So, um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm still split on it, but money's money. That's what teams need um, uh, to, to keep the wheels turning. Absolutely. So hopefully we've, we've we've kind of answered that question, uh, albeit we're all, all pretty vague on it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean it's it's definitely worth a discussion um, for for the at the bare, at the bare minimum. Um, now what I want to do now is I want to talk about Extreme E. Um, Glenn, you've actually had a couple of interviews uh, with the Rosberg team. 
uh, recently. Yes. Uh, how, how did that go for uh, for a, an interview? Did, did you get to speak to them for a, a long time, did you? Or Yeah, so spoke to them um, for about 15 minutes each. Um, honestly, I mean, this was before, um, before the race. It was a couple of weeks beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was still a lot of unknowns. Um, there still will be now, even after the first race and yeah. Um, yeah. And, and qualifiers and that. But um, uh, it was good insight because you're, you're you're taking drivers away from what they know, what they know well by internal combustion engine, yeah, and putting them into an electric powered thing with with just an accelerator and a brake. Yeah. Now uh, the Rosberg team. Did absolutely brilliantly. Obviously, they 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 won the weekend one nil to uh, Rosberg versus Hamilton. Um, did you did you get to watch all qualifying and the race and everything? Yeah, yeah, I was I was glued to the screens throughout. Um, honestly, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, there's obviously some little issues that um, that they they're going to be looking into to sort out um, for sort of driver lineup wise, not the Rosbergs, the the whole um, setup where. Um, the drivers are choosing who is going in the car first, right? Um, and what um, uh, Alejandro Agard was saying was that um, what they're potentially going to do is draw um, names out of a hat, basically next time. So you get more of a a mixed field. So what we ended up seeing was a lot of male drivers and a lot of female drivers against each other, yeah. rather than a mix between the two. But no, I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. The 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 unstable terrain, the cars are absolutely phenomenal. The torque that they've got are just it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they're just putting their toe down and just and and watching it happen is is fantastic. It really was. I watched um the qualifying, the first qualifying session, and I watched the 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 first race on the Sunday, I think it was. I don't know whether they called that the crazy race or the or whatever they whatever they called it. Um, there was a, obviously a lot of visibility issues with the sand, uh, so it was basically all about getting to that first corner first, wasn't it? And then um, the visibility was just too hard to kind of follow too closely for the other teams. Um, do you see that as a as a problem, or is it going to be something that's going to be repeated at every stage? Or we've got got lots of different terrains that they're going to go across. Um, yeah, you're going to see you're going to see. It. Change week in, week out. I say week in, race in, race out. Um, yeah, the, the sand was a big, big issue because anyone stuck behind that. I mean, if you've ever tried to drive without your, your windscreen wipers on in the rain, <laughs> it's not fun. No. You're going to back off completely. Mm-hmm. So um, to, to have that driving at the speeds they were doing, it, it was um, obviously there's an issue there, but it made it entertaining because... Who knew who was going to hit that corner first? I mean, uh, Johan wasn't first into the corner, uh, like first into the first corner anyway. Mm-hmm. He ended up coming out from behind the cars from that dust cloud yeah. and still managing to get in front. So um, I think it's all about tactics as well. So you had um, Tim Hansen, Timmy Hansen using his um, power boost off of the start. Uh-huh. Whereas the other drivers were waiting a little bit further to use their power boost. So maybe that's a factor as to who comes out in front on the first corner. Absolutely. I, I say I, I watched uh, watched a bit of it. I, I found it quite entertaining. Um, it's certainly something I'll tune into again. Coops, did you watch any of the uh, Extreme E? I, I did. I managed to catch some of it. Um, I saw the couple of uh, 
uh, the wrecks with uh, Sarazan and forgive me, uh, the, the female driver, I can't remember, uh, that had the quite nasty role during the first qualifying session. Yeah, that was a, uh, that was a big, big role. A, a big old crash that. Uh, Fair play, she got out and walked, walked, walked away and she was fine. Yep, the, 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 bit, the, the thing that was a bit upsetting was that uh, the Jamie Chadwick wasn't able to do any further because the, the chassis was damaged on the uh-huh. on Sarah's, Sarah's uh, accident. But it does it, it's, it's definitely it's motorsport. So if it's motorsport, I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah, uh, you know, there's some motorsport that I've tried and I can't get into. You know, like endurance racing and stuff like it just takes too long. <laughs> uh, NASCAR, well, we're going to drive left. Uh, yeah, NASCAR, America. You know, I just can't. I can't. Uh, so it was it was good. It's good fun. I enjoy uh, watching Formula E give this a shot. And it was interesting where the drivers of all came from different backgrounds. Yeah, Jensen Button. So it was interesting watching him getting used to this type of racing, which on on the evidence of that race didn't quite understand it. Uh, didn't suit him at the, at the moment, does it? Yeah. He might he'll, he'll grow, hopefully. Well, that's it. Yeah. Then you had uh, was it Timmy Hansen? I think he's more of a kind of motocross type driver, so he's used to that. He understands the tactics. Then you've got you've got a uh, two-time Dakar champion uh, Carlos, Carlos Sainz Senior. Yeah. Uh, he seemed to be doing quite well. And then of course having the female drivers in there. Any platform to get the female drivers on, we're all for. We need to see them on there. Uh, I'm hoping at some point in my lifetime they're not going to be seen as female drivers, but just drivers. Just drivers, absolutely. That's what we want. Um, and it's uh, great that it's great that Extreme e have said that this is a stipulation. Each team has a female driver. Each team has a male driver. Um, promoting that. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of female drivers out there. There's a lot of drivers out there that are, that are untapped resource, um, and they, they keep being overlooked unfairly and they should never be they should be looked at and merited on their talent and their talent alone uh, but you know that's that's another conversation but yeah for, for Extreme E it was good to see it was very different uh, it'll be interesting to see the next where they're going next uh, I don't know if Glenn can fill us in on the, the calendar where we are next and what the, the environment's going to be like there but uh uh, I didn't get a chance to see it. I was working during the weekend, so I didn't really get a chance to sit down and watch it, but I managed to grab what I could. Uh, and when it when it comes back on in a, in a wee while, I think it's a good... I think they've spaced it out. I think it's only f- a few rounds, but it's spaced out quite a bit. I've got a good grab. Well, do, you wanna, do you want to take that away then, Glenn? Do you know, do you know what? Yeah, um, so the next one is in Africa. It's... Um, it's the Ocean Grand Prix, if I, if I remember rightly. So it's still going to be, um, there's still going to be a bit of sand, still, still probably some dust clouds. It's uh, towards the end of the month again. So there's about four weeks separating the two. Okay. Um, and yeah, like you say, they're, they're spaced out quite periodically. There's, there's only five of them this year. So, um, and they're going to go to Greenland, um, Brazil. Um, so you're just getting a, a real sort of, mix of um terrain which is just gonna uh, it's gonna throw um everything up in the air really uh-huh yeah and as you say the cars are cars are great they they look good they uh they they're quick they are really quick you know i, I was so so surprised at how fast they actually were on the sand um very impressed with it uh, as i say i i will definitely be watching the next uh, next race um and, and giving it more more of a chance 
Uh, is there anything you wanted to discuss about in terms of the interviews with with, with the Rosberg team? Did you? Is there anything that stood out with the drivers? Um, I think what stood out between uh, they're both uh, fantastic. They were both so friendly, which is which is always nice when you're talking to someone uh, for a first time. Uh -huh. um, but to to get their different sort of perspectives on what they thought was going to be coming up, um, not to know um what was coming but i mean <laughs> the the thing that did make me laugh was um i don't know whether you know the stories that um how uh molly taylor and johan were actually uh, asked to be part of rosberg's team no go on in. um so molly taylor she ended up getting a, an email from uh, her website from Rosberg and she thought someone was just pulling her leg <laughs> until, because it was a very brief email saying, uh, do you want to talk about Extreme E? Um, and she she thought it was a joke until uh, all of a sudden she, they're, they're FaceTiming each other and, and talking about it. Um, <laughs> and uh, Johan, it was all through Instagram. <laughs> so all, all of this technology that we've got now and it's happening through Instagram. <laughs> it's a good way um, but, of recruiting, I guess, a good way of recruiting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, just to, just to hear their, um, their thoughts. Uh, I mean, the, the, the interviews are on YouTube. Um, so feel free to go and, uh, and check them out. But when you're driving a car, I'm no by, I'm not, any means a racing driver of what of any imagination um but you know when you're driving a car you listen to the gear change you're actively changing it at a certain time um and you'd imagine that's what they're going through when they're in an internal combustion engine uh engine car um so to go from that to the automatic um i i think there there wasn't overall concern because when they first started jumping into the cars. After a couple of minutes, it just became natural mm. because it's more about picking your braking points as opposed to your changing gear because you need to know where you're braking to get back onto the power rather than uh, even Chris, uh, Christopherson said um, that even in rally, he said, you're not really thinking about the gear change. You're just doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it is just the braking. That's all it is. Okay. So... It, it poses even more kind of I don't know obstacles for them to kind of get over um, a le a learning how to to drive these beasts as they are. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Well, I, I'm as I say, I'm really looking forward to the rest of the season. I'll, I'll definitely be giving a watch. Thumbs up from me. I th I've got a couple of quick fire questions because um, we've got a, a WhatsApp chat uh, and there's a, a few lads in the WhatsApp chat, um, the Everything F1 WhatsApp chat. Just quick fire questions, really. To, to find out your opinions um they're, they're not really things that we need to talk about in great detail but i just want your opinion on them um glenn first as as you're our guest will max beat lewis to this year's title i don't think so i think it's going to be ever so ever so close now mm -hmm. um but i just don't i i can't see it okay adam yeah exactly see him I think it'll, it'll be close, hopefully closer than previous seasons, but I think Hamilton, unfortunately, will take the eighth championship. And that really sticks in your throat. I love that. <laughs> Coops? Oh, Max will do it this year. Ooh. Well, that's three. Well, a prediction for the start of it the was, season. It was, yeah, to be fair, it was. So that's 3-1 in favour of Hamilton because I, I'm a, I, I think Hamilton will win it this year. I think he'll get that eighth. 
Uh, and I think he'll be here next year as well to win the ninth. But we'll see. We'll see if he does that next year because the cars are obviously a lot different. But we will see. Um, hopefully that answers your question. That was a question from Andy from the uh, Everything F1 WhatsApp chat. Another quick fire question. Will Aston finish above Alpine at the end of the year? Adam? Yeah. They've got the better car slightly, I think, haven't they? Yeah, I think once they get on top of their, the issues that Mercedes have as well with the, the low rake, I think they'll improve a lot. I don't know about Alpine. They haven't shown a lot in the first race. We'll have to see how they develop as well. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Glenn? Um, only if Sebastian gets comfortable in that car. Okay. Because uh, he, he finished much, much further back. I mean, he, he was finishing those positions when he was in, in the Ferrari last year. So um, he, he, need, he really needs to get a grip of that car mm-hmm. and he's got to do it quickly if that's going to be the case. So um, prediction, um, I'm going to say Alpine in front. Ooh. Coops? Yeah, I'm going to go with Glenn on this one. Uh, okay. I think Alpine will do it. And... A couple of reasons. The the sudden excuse that the new regulations are hurting the low rate cars, which was never an issue, was never discussed till the first race. So I think mm-hmm. half now needs to stop with that excuse. Uh, Sebastian Vettel really needs to get his finger out. I was hoping we'd see something better, but then he just drove it at the back of another car. He's done it before. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. By his opinion. He changed his racing line. When in fact, we know for a fact he was just on the racing line. <laughs> he was the only person at the minute that happened, he was the only person that said that. Everybody watched it. Went no, he, he, I don't like Ocon. I can't stand the man. I don't think he should be racing the Formula One car. And I was like, <laughs> no, Seb. I think he even said it at the chat when I was watching it. I thought, for goodness sake, but I mean, he was stopping at Britain. Like that was horrendous, but. No, uh, I think on the other side, uh, Alpine's car's not great. It looks good, but it's not spectacular. But it's stable. And also the Alonso factor. Now, this is a guy who can get a dog of a McLaren with a Honda engine into the points. And he drove a, a, he drove a, a, he drove a McLaren round the streets of Baku with two flat tyres and got it into the pits and got it back out and raced it. Uh, don't think he'd done much after that, but he'd done it. Uh, so, you know, and Alonso hasn't lost a step at all since he came back. Uh, no, he's, still, he's shown he's got the, uh, he's still got the edge, hasn't he? Alonso's just Alonso. He's a machine, you know. Alonso should be a multiple world champion more than two, but again... He's just crap crap decision maker, isn't he? Yeah, that's yeah, that's his problem. McLaren, when they've got a dog of a Honda, from the handy ball, I thought, I, I, <laughs> yeah, that was a good idea, wasn't it, son? Yeah. Uh, Okay, so hopefully, Glenn, we've answered your question in the WhatsApp chat. Uh, that was that question was from Glenn. Um, oh no, I didn't. I didn't respond, did I? Sorry. No, uh, I, I'm going to stay. I'm going to. I'm going to go with Adam. Uh, I'm going to say Aston will win. Um, I think. I think they'll copy something that, that Mercedes do when Mercedes get on top of it, and they'll, uh, they'll 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 copy it, and it'll work for the Astons too. And then you'll see uh, the four-time champ of Sebastian Vettel finding his feet, hopefully, and scoring mid-level decent points the same as stroll i think they're going to be consistent i think that's the i think that's what the what's going to help them the consistency um which i don't think uh that currently the alpine has so hopefully that answers your question glenn uh in the whatsapp chat it's not you is it glenn is that you glenn no 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 it's not me (laughs) different glenn in the whatsapp chat 
will the Honey Badger get a podium or slash win this year? Uh, and will McLaren challenge for the title in 2022? Another quick fire question, really. Uh, so hunt, two, two, parts, two parts to that question. Uh, this one's a, a, another one from Andy. Um, will the Honey Badger podium slash win this year? And then second part of it, will McLaren challenge for the title in 2022? Coops, we'll go to you. Quick fire. Uh, yes, he will get a win or a podium. And I have no idea about 2022 because nobody does. Nobody does. We can't say because we don't know. All we know is they'll have probably a decent engine. Uh, and McLaren are always good at aerodynamics and, and putting a package together. He, who is a, he's, a brilliant te- he's a brilliant technical guy from Toro Rosso. Uh, well, uh, Alpha Tauri, sorry. Glenn, do you think the Honey Badger um, will win this year or, or stick it on the podium? No, I think it will be Norris for, for McLaren. I think he'll be there to, to scoop up the uh, the podium. Not, not unfortunately... Uh, Ricardo. Adam? Yeah, I think Norris has come into the season with a sort of um, fire up his bum with um, Ricardo coming in. So I think he'll be the leader in the team. So I think he'll be getting the podium next year. Who knows? I mean, we might have a situation where obviously we have a mixed up grid like in Monza last year. Um, and and that, that's when, you know, the, some of the mid, more mid-tier, mid-tier teams uh, will be on the podium. I think, um, I think. I think it'll take something like that to shuffle the the, cup, the the two top teams off the off the main steps of the podium. I think. I think McLaren's problem for next year is their wind tunnel. I don't think they'll be okay. near the front until they get their wind tunnel up and running. The new wind tunnel. Right. That's okay. the only thing they're missing from the two big teams. Is that is their wind tunnel? Okay. Uh, so yeah. So thanks again for your question. Okay, another quick fire question from Glenn again. Uh, will Lance beat Seb in the drivers' championship? And if so, is it the end of people seeing Seb as an elite driver? Uh, uh, no, I don't. I don't see Lance doing it. I don't. Um, yeah, I, keep it short. Seb's gonna. Seb will beat him. Okay, Adam. I think Stroll. I think if Seb continues the way he's going, I think Stroll will get it just by default because Seb will just. Implode. Coops? Uh, no. Uh, I think Seb will, will beat him just about because, you know, Stroll couldn't beat Perez last year and he missed two races. So, yeah. One, one part of the, that I want to add to that, I don't, I, I don't know necessarily that people are considering Seb as one of the elite anymore, anyway. Um, whether, whether or not he does beat Stroll, I, I think. I think he's probably lost that title at the moment. I think he'll take a bit of um, a bit of a change in his fortunes before people consider him as an elite. Now he was he has been an elite in his time, but I don't think he's an elite now. I think Seb is one of those people that, as I touched on earlier on, he needs Formula One to come to him. You know, his driving style doesn't allow. He can't cope with a car that has an unstable rear end. And the Ferrari was very unstable at the rear. Uh, so he couldn't cope with that. He just couldn't. Uh-huh. So when you when you think of that way, uh, if, if the, the regulations for 2022 come in and they suit him, 
that it comes to him, he could he could be up the front again. But for him to be classed as elite again after his recent years uh, with Ferrari and last year and the start of this year, he has to win a championship. It's the only way I can see him becoming an elite again. And folk to think, oh, because they're, they're dismissing it. People forget he's a four-time world champion when they talk about him now. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully that's uh, we, we've had a few questions in the uh, in the WhatsApp chat. I thought we'd touch on those, but quickly uh, in kind of quick fire questions. Um, our next Formula One race is until the 16th to the 18th of April, and that will be in Italy, um, in Imola. Um, so we've still got another episode to chat about things. So we'll probably ask our fans for more questions. Um, so by all means, if you do follow us on all our social medias, which we hope you do, uh, you'll be able to ask us any questions for next week um, and our next podcast. So our next show will be next week, uh, released on all your podcasting streaming services. Uh, we've got a special guest from the Grid Talk podcast coming along to answer your questions. So get those questions over to us on the relevant posts. Don't forget to follow us. We are on all social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube at JoinEF1 for your all your F1 news, uh, fun and, of course, podcasts. We are uploading our podcasts onto youtube so you can get catch them on the go or of course onto any podcasting streaming service please also subscribe because it does help us grow and it does get our podcast out to more and more people thanks very much for coming along today glenn hopefully we've been a bit gentle with you do you want to promote your uh, website and your facebook page once more yeah i'd love to no really, really appreciate you guys having me on it's been uh... It's been great. Um, so yeah, by all means, anyone out there who wants to uh, to follow us, uh, you'll find us on all the social medias, um, or go ahead, go over to our website. You'll find all the links and our our e magazine on there. But yeah, thank you guys. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Brilliant. And maybe we'll have you on again in the future uh, later, later on in the season. Uh, Sounds if you, good. If you'd like to come along. Absolutely, of course, I would. So all that's left for me to say is thank you very much for listening. We will see you again or speak to you again next week. Thanks, Coops. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, Adam. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you to the special guest, Glenn, from F1 Journal. Bye-bye. See you, guys. And thanks very much for listening.